Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys, are you guys enjoying the beautiful weather outside? This is amazing for February. Uh, so glad you guys are here. For those of you that are, that are visiting, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are continuing in our series called One. We're going through the book of, uh, well, the chapter 2 of Acts, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Um, what the church did after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit arrived, the church started, 3,000 people were baptized, it was a big, huge revival. And then the, then the Bible tells us what the church did, it, it, that they realized that that wasn't the finish line. They realized that they needed to disciple these people. They needed a, a community for these people to grow. It's kind of like uh, everybody celebrates baptism, which we, which we always do, but we also celebrate the birth of infants in the, in, in the hospital. We don't leave them there. We, that's not the end. It's not like, hey, kid, you were born. Congratulations. You're done. You're, it, it, you've, you've arrived. No. You take them home. You have to feed them. You have to nurture them. You have to teach them, train them. And that's exactly what happens when we, when, as a church, when someone is baptized or someone it does come to Christ without the church, without fellowship, without relationship, they're just going to die on the vine. And so that is what we are talking about, becoming that church. The early church understood that. And so that's what we are. Last week we talked about um, the, the, how they devoted themselves to one teaching, the, the, the word of God. Uh, today we're talking about the second thing that they did. They devoted themselves to prayer, all right? They devoted themselves to, to, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer. And the main thing today is the prayerless Christian is a Christian in name only. I was told one time that prayerlessness in the life of a Christian is a sin. Wow. I never really thought of it that way. But um, um, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist re uh, revival in England, said this. John, God does nothing except in response to the prayers of his people. Now, that's not in the Bible. I don't know if that's true or not. But he certainly believed it. And he backed it up by starting his morning at 5 a.m. with an hour of prayer from 5 to 6 a.m. He did that every single day of his life. And, uh, and the Methodist re uh, revival swept England and, and, uh, and came here to America, too. The Bible's full of commands to pray, the benefits of prayer, challenges and examples of prayer. Yet prayer continues to be a small part of our lives. It really does. Um, in fact, theologians are writing articles and dissertations about the prayerless Christian. How, uh, I heard a, story, a, a study that the average pastor, like me, prays three minutes a day. Three minutes a day of prayer. And we wonder why the church is in the shape it's in. Uh, so why is prayerlessness so prevalent in the lives of Christians? Well, the first thing, we gotta, we got to figure out why we're not praying. Okay, if God commands it, we know we're supposed to do it. Why aren't we? The first thing is this, sin. Let's just get this one out of the way. Sin is one of the reasons we don't pray. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Your prayer life will stop your sins or your sins will stop your prayer life and it's that simple. So many of us, uh, be, be, we, have, we have grieved the Spirit of God because of our sin, and, 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 and it has basically cut off communication with home base. A couple weeks ago, we talked about spiritual warfare and how the first thing in warfare, you want to dis dis disrupt communications between headquarters and the soldiers in the field, and that's exactly what sin does. It, it, it knocks out your service. It puts your, your life in airplane mode where you can't get online. That's basically what happens when we have sin in our lives. 
Okay, remember we are in a spiritual war, and the first strike in war is to disrupt communications. The Holy Spirit is living in you. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is living in you, and he's in constant communication with you about God's will, guiding you, leading you about what you should do in each and every situation, and our sin acts like a brick wall, stopping that communication. It stops the desire to pray. So make no mistakes about it. If you have unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, it is blocking your prayer life. It's blocking your desire to pray. And you cannot hear God's voice. You cannot hear God's direction. Uh, and and, and we, that's just what happens. It just disrupts communication. Sin is the number one thing that will stop us from praying. Like I said, your prayer life will stop your sins. Your sins will stop your prayer life. And it's that simple. The second thing, that, the reason that we don't pray, is lack of silence. Lack of silence. Uh, Luke, 15, uh, Luke 5, 15 through 16, says this about Jesus. The news about Jesus spread of all the more so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often went through to lonely places and prayed. See, Jesus knew something about life that a lot of us don't is that we have to get away. We have to have silence in our lives if we are going to be able to pray. He didn't, try to, he didn't try to do that in the midst of all the crowds and all the ministry. He withdrew to lonely places. Um, I once heard a pastor say, if Satan can't make you evil, he'll make you busy. If he can't make you evil, he'll make you busy. Lack of silence, lack of stopping is one of the reasons why we are not praying. Uh, he, Jesus had to actively withdraw from people. I'm, I'm concerned that we don't have space to do that. And I get it, okay? I, I, I'm, sometimes I'm envious of Jesus um, because of his situation in life. He, he didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife and children. He didn't have this. He didn't have a screen. Sometimes I, I, I read that and say, Jesus, it was easier for you to withdraw to lonely places. You didn't have, you, you, know, you, you didn't have soccer practice to go to. You, know, you didn't have uh, you know, bills to pay. Uh, these kind of things. It's like, don't you understand, Jesus, that, that life is a lot different in America than it was in first century Israel? I think you had it easy. And then he always tells me this, that's why it's so much more important for you to do what I did. And um, I'm concerned. Uh, I'm concerned about also the guilt that parents and spouses feel about not being able to devote that kind of time in prayer. Guys, I'm lucky if I have 10 minutes where I'm not needed, uh, especially when the kids were little. I'm lucky to have 10 minutes because somebody always needed me, whether here at work or at home. I was always needed, constantly needed. I could not, because of the responsibilities I had, I could not get away. And I always felt guilty not being able to devote an hour of prayer uh, because I didn't have an hour. I, I didn't have 10 minutes where I wasn't being interrupted. And so here's, here's the thing. I want you guys to understand that God understands parenthood. He understands married life. He understands the responsibilities you have. He does not expect the same thing of a parent with three children under age five that he does of someone without those responsibilities, okay? So take a load off. God understands but it is that much more important that we carve out spaces because we're always needed. Parents and spouses, I get it. And I don't think God would create the position of spouse and parent and expect you to keep the same schedule as someone who didn't, who didn't have those responsibilities. 
Now, I, uh, I, I, that's not, that's not uh, dogging on, on single people. I'm not at all. I'm just saying that, uh, I, that, that the point stands. We don't have enough silence in our lives. And because we don't, we neglect the important practice of prayer. And we get out of the habit. The third reason we don't pray is this, is that we're overwhelmed. Anybody, anybody feel overwhelmed? I, I do. When I, when I approach God in prayer, um, it's like the magnitude of everything that needs prayer just, just hits me. Um, 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Clear-minded and self-controlled. Okay, we need to approach God in prayer with a sober mind. Under self-control. Because I don't do that. What I, many times I approach God in prayer and I get sense, where do I even start? I can spend all day just dealing with my own messiness and brokenness. But I'm called to pray for the leaders of this country. <laughs> you spend all day doing that. Good night. I'm called to pray for revival. I'm a pastor and I love all of you all and I need to pray for all of you by name. Well, that overwhelms me because I know what so many of you are going through and that's overwhelming. And then I'm a husband and father and I need to be praying for my wife and kids. My, 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 two, my one daughter's married and be praying for that marriage. My one daughter's about to get married in June. I need to be praying for that. My son, I need to be praying for him and his future spouse and, and all these things I'm concerned about, all the, the drug epidemic we're seeing out there and all the division and everything in our country and then, I just, and, and then missions in Nepal and India and Dominican Republic and Haiti and, and, and uh, uh, Jamaica and all the places that we have missions and I just get overwhelmed and I quit. It's just too much. And I feel like, uh, I feel like there's, even if I spent five hours or six hours in prayer, I couldn't cover it all. So what's, the, what's even the point? I get overwhelmed. I just quit. Well, no, I don't really quit. I just throw up a, hey, God, be with everyone prayer. And I <laughs> call it a day. And I feel like I, I basically, I check off my prayer box. Hey, I did this today. But the Bible tells us to be sober-minded so we can pray, that we get our thoughts in order, that we have self-control, that we have self-disciplines, we approach God. We're to be sober-minded, clear-minded, so we can pray. If you're feeling overwhelmed, I want to ask you and challenge you as your pastor and as your friend, take just one of those things. Temper down the, 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 the voices that are crying to be one thing, Lord, today... I'm praying for my family. That's it. Everything else, I'll get to that tomorrow and the next day. But I'm going to take one thing and pray today. I can do that. And that stops me from being overwhelmed. We're not scatterbrained. We're of sober mind. The fourth thing, and this is, one of the, this is the biggest one for me. This is why, this is the, well, this is why I get discouraged. I, I have, have prayerlessness in my life. Is this discouraged by lack of results. Okay. Uh, Luke 18.1, Jesus told his disciples a parable, showed them they should always pray and not give up. Jesus understood that we would be tempted to give up. But what I found, and in 2004, you guys know my story about, about the death of my son and, and how, how I prayed and prayed and prayed and, and God said no. Um, and how I dealt with that and, and I basically said, you know, God, you're going to do what you're going to do. I, I can't take this getting my hopes up for you going to move and, and, and expecting you to move and you don't. And then I get my hopes up again, and no, and I get my hopes up. I can't take this anymore. So what I'm going to do, Lord, I'm just going to say, Lord, your will be done. You're going to do what you're going to do. 
And I'm fine with that. I love you. Your will is best anyway, but I'm just not going to ask. I'm just not going to approach you in prayer because I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle the emotional roller coaster. And I have to admit that some of that still hits me. And, and guys, that, um, that really used to, um, used to bother me because I thought that showed a lack of faith on my part. But what I realized is this, you all is that when you get discouraged by the lack of results of prayer, that doesn't show a lack of faith. That shows that you truly believe that God answers prayer. That shows that you truly believe that God can do anything. It shows that you truly believe that God is looking out for you and cares about you, and the fact that you are discouraged means that this, uh, this powerful faith is operating in the background. If you have no faith, if you don't believe in God, if you then you're not discouraged when God says no. I mean, that's what par for the course. You hardly believe in God anyway, so why should he do anything? But if you, get, if you uh, approach God in prayer and he says no and you just get your hopes up and they're dashed, that doesn't show a lack of faith on your part. That shows your attitude towards God, that you're good and you love me and you can do anything you want. The reason I'm discouraged, the reason I'm devastated, because I got my hopes up, because I believe you're good. So if you're hearing no, more than you're hearing yes, that's the story of my prayer life, just letting you know. I hear no a lot more than I hear yes. I look at some of the things that I've asked God for, I'm so thankful he said no. He knows a lot better than me. But when I start getting discouraged because of lack of results, I realize because I trust my dad, I think he's going to do, I think he's going to move, and I'm fired up about it. So don't, don't, don't fall into that trap that if you're hearing the word no more often than yes, that doesn't show a lack of faith, that shows a dynamic faith, that you truly believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. But here are the results of prayerlessness. If we don't overcome these reasons, if we don't overcome our sin, we don't overcome the lack of silence, we don't overcome the feelings of being overwhelmed, we don't overcome the discouraged by lack of results, we don't overcome that, this is what happens. The first thing is this. We've got limited resources to tackle problems and accomplish tasks. Limited resources. You're doing things in your own power. And if you know anything about you, if you're self-aware enough to know yourself, you know that ain't much. Okay? I think about Samson and his hair. You guys know the story of Samson. He, Samson was a Nazarite. It means he was set apart by God. And his hair, he was not supposed to have his hair cut. That gave him his strength. Well, uh, and it, uh, the, um, my favorite Sanford and Son episode referenced uh, Samson when Aunt Esther was giving Sam, Fred Sanford a tough time. And, uh, and, and she goes, you be nice to me, Fred G. Sanford. There are stories in the Bible about me. And Fred looks at her and says, oh, yeah. Samson slew a thousand Philistines with your jawbone, you know. And if you go, go look up the, the story, if you know what, what jawbone uh, Samson used to kill a thousand people, okay? Jawbone of a donkey. Anyway, the King James version of donkey. Um, but when Samson lost his hair, when, when Delilah tricked him into shaving it off, he lost the momentum, he lost the power of God, and he was only able to do things in his own power, and he was captured and he was put in prison. I look at that, I look at prayer life like Samson losing his hair. When you, uh, when, you are, when you are a prayerless Christian, you have no power in your life to affect change. You wonder, wonder why things aren't going like, like they should, why, why you're... you're uh, 
attempts to share your faith with people uh, is falling flat, if you wonder why uh, you, you simply just can't get ahead in anything, you have no power. You're doing things in your own power. And with prayerlessness, it's like Samson losing, you're, you're like a hairless Samson, doing things in your own power. And we run out of power very quickly. The second thing is this, diminishing spiritual momentum. Diminishing spiritual momentum. Um, David Yonggi Cho pastors the largest church uh, that's in, in the world, in the history of the world. It's over a million people in Seoul, South Korea. He has more than 700 ministers that work for him. He is one of the busiest people that is ever in, in ministry ever. And he writes this. During the day, I usually face many problems. Before I do or say anything, I pray. This is the difference between acting and reacting. As I study the life of Christ, I know Jesus always acted. He never reacted. To react is to allow people, situations, or circumstances to be in control. To act is to be in control of the circumstances around you. Even when Christ was being judged for Pilate, the Roman governor, he was in control of the circumstances. The way I keep from reacting is to discover the mind of God on each situation that presents itself to me. Amazing. So if you feel like you're always playing defense, like, you know, this is coming at you, and this is coming at you, and this is coming at you, you're always reacting, reacting, reacting. We need to change that. It's time to move on the offense. We need to act. And the way we do that is we find, discover the mind of God, God's will in every single thing that we face throughout the day. Do you think God has an opinion on how you should treat that customer that's giving you trouble? Do you think that God has, has a plan for uh, the situation, for the deal that you're working on, or the student that you're teaching, or your, the, the rebellious child that you're dealing with? Absolutely he does. So without prayer, though, you have no momentum. See, God, science belongs to God. God invented science. Momentum is simply the forward motion of, of, of once, once think, something is set in motion. There's a spiritual law called inertia. Inertia says that an object will remain in its current state of motion unless acted upon by an outside force. For example, this music stand is going to stay here. If we came back here in 100 years, it would still be here. It's not going anywhere until I pick it up and move it, okay? That's the law of inertia. And it applies in the spiritual realm as well. You have spiritual inertia. You, you will remain in the state you are in unless acted upon by an outside force. Okay? A prayerless Christian is going to remain prayerless until the Holy Spirit acts. Uh, you, you are going to, uh, you're, you're going to be in your current state of motion. Now, there's a force. If you roll a ball, it eventually slows down and stops. Why? Because inertia doesn't work? No. Because there's a force opposing it known as friction. Friction stops forward motion, and Satan acts as friction to stop your spiritual momentum. And if you do not have prayer in your life, you have lost your jet engine, you have lost the forward motion, and you will grind to a stop without prayer. So this, you will find yourself just sitting there, no forward motion, no victories, no wins, nothing, if you have prayerlessness in your life. Your marriage will be stagnant, will be stagnant. Your, your parenting, your, your joy in the Lord, your worship will just be stad and stagnant because you've lost your spiritual momentum without prayer. Satan loves nothing more than to stop you, stop the work of God by cutting off prayer. The third thing is the most important, though, result of prayerlessness is that breaking of relationship. Can you imagine a husband and wife being married and never speaking to each other or speaking three minutes a day, what kind of relationship would that be? 
that will show that you don't have much of a, you don't prioritize your marriage very much. And the same thing, when we have prayerlessness, we have a breaking of relationship with God. Do we hate God? No, we don't hate him. We're just kind of indifferent towards him. And that's what prayerlessness brings. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, It's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay? If that relationship is not there, we are, according to Jesus, we are not entering heaven. That relationship is not there. Prayerless will break that relationship that God went to the cross and died so that you could have. That's what, that's what results of prayerlessness. Many, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If you notice what Jesus says here, activity is not the important thing. Intimacy is the important thing. The thing that's more important to God is you, not what you can do for him, is you. He doesn't want the miracles. He doesn't want the demons driven out. He doesn't want the sermons preached. He doesn't want the, uh, uh, the, the, the mission trips gone if he can't have you. Okay? That's what he says here. So hey, this is what we have to do. If we're going to be like that early church and we're going to be focused in prayer, we're going to be one in prayer, we've seen what happens when we don't, this is what we have to do. We have to develop the desire to pray. I'm not going to tell you guys I expect 30 minutes of prayer every day out of every one of you. No. Why would I do that? That's ridiculous. What I want you to do is to develop the desire to pray so I don't have to tell you to pray. It's something you do naturally. I don't have to tell you to eat, do I? No. I don't have to tell you to eat. You eat because you're hungry, because you have a desire to eat. In the same way, I want you to have that same desire to pray David Yonggi Cho again says this, God has created, uh, created us in such a way we need to know the purpose and the benefit of something if we're going to be motivated to work for that thing. If we actually realize the benefits of prayer, we would have been praying before now. Motivation works on the base of desire. For someone to pray, must learn to desire prayer. We have to develop the desire for prayer. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Honestly, the way that God develops a desire for us to pray, if you're not praying already, is life falls apart. How many of you all's prayer life gets a lot, lot better when you see a notice from the IRS? <laughs> or worse, when you get that call from the doctor, the cancer diagnosis, or when your grown child calls you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm walking away from the faith. Or when you get that court summons or you're being sued, when life hits the skids, how many of your all's prayer life increases in those moments? Absolutely. And what does God learn from that? Well, in order to get this person's attention, life has to fall apart for them. How about we don't wait until life falls apart for us to pray. I mean, I, I, I hate, I, I will tell you this, I'm a pastor. The most frustrating things that happen to me, I don't hear from a person for two years. And then all of a sudden I get a call or a message. 
And it's not them, hey, let's go out to lunch because I've missed you. It's, hey, man, can you help me out? I need usually money. And I said, I, I basically say, you know, the only time I hear from you is when you need something. What does that say about our relationship? Am I, are we friends? No. No, we're not friends. Because if the only time I hear from you is when you need something, that means I'm an ATM. I'm not a friend. And the second you get what you want, you're out of here. Well, how many of you all like people like that? How many of you all, when, when uh, you all have, pe- how many of you all have people like that? That the only time you hear from them is when they need something. You all have people like maybe some family, maybe, you know, this kind of thing, okay? How many of you all have stopped taking their calls? I have. Because I'm not going to be, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be used like that. Well, I wonder if God has stopped taking our calls. Because you have done to God and I have done to God, the things we can't stand being done to us. And we can't fault God for hanging up when we do that to people that do the same thing. So how about we stop treating God like an EMT? Only time we call you is when we need rescuing. And begin the relationship, that develops the desire to pray, right? Here's what prayer does. Here's what prayer will do for you. If you engage in a prayer life, if you engage in regular focused prayer to God, this is what it will do to you and for you. And not just you as a person, but us as a church. The first thing is this, prayer produces brokenness. Brokenness, and I'm not talking bad brokenness. I'm talking the good kind of brokenness that where he breaks away our arrogance, he breaks away our self-sufficiency, breaks away our stubbornness and our pride, that kind of brokenness. Look what happens here, Luke 5, 5 through 8. Simon Peter answered, well, Master, we've worked hard all night and we've caught, we've caught, not, haven't caught anything. This is uh, when he's, he's fishing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, the nets began to break. God answered this huge prayer. Jesus answered this huge prayer of his. Uh, and so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so much, so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. When, when, when you go to God in prayer and you confess all of your stuff to him, and you give him everything, you realize your own brokenness, you realize your own arrogance, your own pride, and God takes that from you. He takes away this rebellious spirit that we all have. He takes away the pride. He takes away all of the ugliness and the darkness that we carry around. And he opens us up to be the people he wants us to be. Many times I've approached God in prayer. And before I can even get a word out, my own mess just comes straight to my mind. And I basically have to say, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And when I do that, that's when God says, you finally get it, but you're here anyway because I love you. Yeah, you don't deserve to be in my presence. You don't deserve to talk to me. You don't even deserve life. Yet here you are because I love you. Now that you're finally being real, let's spend some time together. See, guys, prayer produces 
brokenness. If you are tired of having life blow up in your face and, and taking this and having it blowing up in your face and taking this path and stepping on a landmine and this kind of thing, if you're tired of your own pride and arrogance destroying everything that you care about and, 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 and is of value to you, approach God in prayer and allow him to break that from you and allow him to rebuild you into someone that he designed you to be. The second thing that prayer produces after that painful process happens is this. Prayer produces power. Power. Acts 4, 29 through 31. Peter and John had just been, uh, they, they'd healed a, a, a beggar. And, and they got called in to the, to the powers that be. Called in and, and, and they're like, how did you do this? We know that you're you know, demon-possessed, whatever. And they make this huge uh, uh, speech in front of the Sanhedrin and gives glory to God and everything like this. They threaten them and everything, they let them go. And they get together with the church and like, hey, you guys won't believe what just happened. We healed a beggar. And then the Sanhedrin got all hacked off at us and they yelled at us. They told us not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And then, so this was the prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were told not to preach in Jesus' name, and they went to prayer, and the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak even more powerfully. That's what happens when we approach God in prayer we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're able to do the things that Jesus himself did. You say, hang on, the things Jesus did? No, 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 he's, he's God. He, I can't do the things Jesus did. Well, in John 14, it says, he who has faith in me will do the things I've been doing. You'll do even greater things than I did because I'm going to the Father. You know, like greater things than Jesus? Are you serious? Me? And he's like, well, not necessarily you. The church. The church will do greater things than I was able to do. And you say, well, how do you figure? I mean, I've never raised someone from the dead. I've never uh, walked on water. That's pretty neat. Never done that. So what are you talking about? How can our church do greater things? Well, if you notice, Jesus always said the miracles don't really matter that much. That's why he always told people not to tell when he performed a miracle. See, it wasn't the miracle that was important. It was the love behind the miracle that was so important. And when Jesus could talk to this one person, he was one person. But the church can talk to 500 or 1,000 because there are more of us. Um, we, can, we can raise more money than Jesus could because we have resources Jesus didn't have. Back then, we can build wells in India. Jesus couldn't do that. He could have, but he was in Jerusalem, and they didn't have planes, and they didn't have PayPal, and they didn't have wire transfers of money. And so we can do greater things than Jesus was able to do because he went to the Father, and he uh, sent the Holy Spirit to us, and now we can have the power we can live in that power. And if you, don't, if you think I'm speaking here, just look it up. That's what Jesus said. You will do greater things than me. 
But if we are not people of prayer, if we're not focused in prayer, we will simply play church. We will be a nice group of people that gets in a nice building, singing nice songs, and going back to our nice homes. I, I, I hate to say this, you guys. I didn't sign up for that when I became a Christian. I can be nice without being part of the church. I can be nice without even being a Christian. I signed up because, first of all, Jesus called me. The second, because I believe the church needs to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And if we are not doing that, then we are obviously not people of prayer because people of prayer are people of God's power and they're doing the things out in the world that, the, that, that Jesus himself would do. That's why we must be people of prayer. I, I, I'm tired of powerless Christians. I'm, I'm tired of powerless prayers. I'm tired of ineffective Christians and ineffective churches. I'm, I want to be a church full of the Holy Spirit's power to do the things that Jesus would do in this world if he was here right now. Prayer produces power. I've, I read this amazing poem to sum up why prayer must be a focus of, of our lives. It's about the relationship with God. Check this out. A minister passing through his church in the middle of the day decided to pause by the altar to see who came to pray. Just then the back door opened and a man came down the aisle. The minister frowned as he saw the man. Hadn't shaved in a while. His shirt was torn and shabby and his coat was worn and frayed. The man knelt down and bowed his head then rose and walked away. In the days that followed at precisely noon, the preacher saw this chap. Each time he knelt for just a moment, a lunch pail in his lap. Well, the minister's suspicions grew with robbery a main fear. He decided to stop and ask the man, what are you doing here? The old man said he was a factory worker and lunch was half an hour. Lunchtime was his prayer time for finding strength and power. I stay only a moment because the factory's far away. As I kneel here talking to the Lord, this is kind of what I say. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I have been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. Don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this has been just checking in today. The minister, feeling foolish, told Ben that it was fine. He told the man he was welcome to pray there anytime. It's time to go and thanks, Ben said as he hurried to the door. The minister knelt there at the altar, which, is ne which he had never done before. His cold heart melted, warmed with love, as he met with Jesus there. As the tears flowed down his cheeks, he repeated old Ben's prayer. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is me just checking in today. Past noon one day, the minister noticed that old Ben hadn't come. As more days passed and still no Ben, he began to worry some. At the factory, he asked about him. Learning he was ill, the hospital staff was worried. 
but he'd given them a thrill. The week that Ben was with them brought changes in the ward. His smiles and joy contagious changed people were his reward. The head nurse couldn't understand why Ben could be so glad. With no flowers, calls, or cards came, not a visitor he had. The minister stayed by his bed. He voiced the, he voiced the nurse's concern. No friends had come by to show they cared. He had nowhere to turn. Looking surprised, old Ben spoke up. And with the winsome smile, the nurse is wrong. She couldn't know. He's been here all the while. Every day at noon, he comes here. A dear friend of mine, you see. He sits right down and takes my hand, leans over and says to me, I just came by to tell you, Ben, how happy I've been since we found this friendship and I took away your sin. I think about you always, and I love you here, and I love to hear you pray. So, Ben, this is Jesus just checking in today. That is what the result of prayer in our lives is a close, personal fellowship with Jesus that takes everything, changes everything in your life. Church, let's be people, let's be men, women, and children of prayer, focused together, calling out to God, and praying without ceasing. God bless you, I love you, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye.